Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, guys? This is the Talking to Star podcast. I'm your host, Connor Livesy, joined by my normal co-host this week as Joey Ikes is back from his lavish vacation and uh, ready to talk some Cowboys football. We had John Owning on last week to talk about some of the defensive tackles and defensive ends. I know Joey hated to miss that show, but I'm sure he had a much better time uh, in the old Bahamas. Was it, isn't that right, Joey? Or did you go to Costa Rica? Well, uh, we went to Mexico, so we were in the Caribbean, but we went to Mexico. But, uh, but yeah, we... Uh... I heard you guys. You guys did a great job yesterday until the very end when you guys decided to slander Whataburger, which I was uh, highly offended by and not, not here to defend the uh, the local establishment. But uh, you guys got to know your target audience a little bit better to go slander Whataburger in the middle of a Cowboys podcast. Hey, I'm not the one that has many great um, fast food takes as I just got back from lunch at work and we ate our the best tacos in the country and that is Chipotle, so... Never go wrong with Chipotle. Yep, yep. So, um, well, cool. Yeah, we are going to recap some of these OTAs today. Um, was the first real like look into things we kind of have gotten um in a while. You know, a lot of the, the stuff going on in the mini camps and rookie mini camp. It just wasn't a ton of info coming out. It wasn't a ton of insight coming out. But we've gotten a little bit more. Um, over the last week here with, with some practice updates and maybe some look into how things are going. Um, this was a mandi- mandatory mini camp, excuse me, not uh, OTAs. Um, but yeah, we got we got some things to kind of touch on and talk about. Um, I have a couple things I want to touch on, but Joey, I'll, I'll give the floor to you as this is your return to the show. What what were some things that really stood out to you in this 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 mini camp overview? Well, I think the uh, the first one is. You know, the one that probably got the most conversation was the offensive line, which is something we've been talking about a lot. Um, and because they decided to allow common sense to prevail a little bit and have Tyron Smith play left tackle and Tyler Smith play left guard. Um, now, because Terrence still isn't ready yet, that means Matt Willetsko played right tackle. Um, and maybe the idea that maybe Terrence Steele won't be ready, so maybe we need to have Tyron Smith ready to play right tackle for uh, three or four weeks until Terrence Steele comes back, and maybe that's been their plan all along. But, uh, but yeah, it was it was good to see common sense prevail. And I would be shocked if if you didn't if you gave a you know if you gave Mike McCarthy or Paul Solari some truth serum and asked them if they had played with this alignment 
um, <laughs> in the OTAs that were not open to the media over the course of the last few weeks, I bet they would say that they have spent a pretty decent amount of time in this alignment in those OTAs. And they're just decided they just, they don't want to tell the media any more than they absolutely have to. So, yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's something we kind of talked about. What was it? I think two shows ago where we went through our offensive line stuff where, you know, we were kind of like, hey, this is the, the no doubt best five look at things. And it also puts your, I think it puts your best five on the field and probably puts your best rotation on the field, which is kind of what you're hoping for there. Um, so it's good to kind of get that that out of the way and see that they are. Maybe that's not what they end up with. Maybe it is, but at least it it, it is one of the options that they're greatly considering, which is all we kind of want is that they're that they're not totally off base. Um, the one thing that stood out to me, and we're going to get in it because we're going to do our linebacker position preview too, but it seemed a lot to be a lot of praise um, for Jabril Cox. Um, and that's something that, you know, he's been around. This will be his, what, third year now? I want to say that is. And yep, this, is this, this will be year three. Yep. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like that. Um, doesn't seem like he's been around that long. I know he, you know, didn't play much in in year one, and we kind of thought for a bigger workload in year two, but he really didn't get that either. So he hasn't played. He hasn't seen the field much. Um, but the player coming out of LSU is a guy that we thought really could make an impact in the NFL, and we think he still can. Um, and we kind of view him as a guy that that linebacker room is probably the only one on the roster right now where you're kind of, you know, raising some eyebrows at, you know, figuring if you got the top end talent and the depth there with Micah Parsons playing more as a pass rush role, um, pass rusher role uh, over these, you know, last year or two. Um, so, you know, if you take Mike out of that, that equation is, is your traditional off the ball linebacker, things get a little thin there at the top and throughout the depth there. Um, but it would be a huge, huge bolster to this defense if Jabril Cox is able to make that, you know, third year leap and be the player that w- a lot of people thought he could be coming out of LSU a couple years ago in the draft. So that was one of the things I noticed and stuck out from campus that there seemed to be a lot of high praise from uh, from Cox and, and what he's doing in that defense at, at minicamp. Yeah, and you know he was in position. You know they cut Jalen Smith mid year, his rookie year because they they were ready to see more Jabril Cox. And then like very shortly after he gets hurt, which is just super unfortunate. Um, But if you're going to build a defense, the one spot that you're like a little bit okay with having some question marks, especially if you're a team that plays as many sub packages as the Cowboys play, they played more dime last year than any team in the league, I believe. And they, you know, they're, they're very, very defensive back centric and defensive back heavy in terms of their back seven, um, linebacker, off the ball linebacker number two is a pretty good spot to have questions at <laughs> if you're going to have questions on your roster on defense. No doubt. And, uh, it's, and, but, like you said, if there's a big jump from Jabril Cox or if there's a big jump from Damone Clark or something like that, then the – there, I call it the goblin ratio, like the, uh, and I, I heard it from somewhere else. I didn't make it up, but it's like just the ability of the defense to just like fly all over the field and be stupid hard to move the ball against goes through the roof. If that second linebacker is really a guy who can run and hit and cover and do all those sorts of things. If one of those guys who all of those guys have that body type and that athleticism, if one of those guys steps up, it's a, uh, the, the defense, has the chance to really take a, a big step um, in terms of, of how difficult they are to move the ball against on a down-to-down basis. 
Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, there's other guys in that rotation, you know, Damone Clark, we've talked about a little bit, you know, some of these younger guys as well, that if we're either draft picks or undrafted free agents last year or draft picks or undrafted free agents this year that we think, um, you know, can make a, make a big impact too. But Jabril Cox is just a guy that, you know, we heard multiple reporters and multiple beat guys kind of come out and go, Hey, he was impressive. And the coaching staff is talking about how he's impressive. So I think that, that's a really good sign um, that things are moving in the right direction for him. What's the next kind of talking point you want to touch on from the, the mini camp review? Yeah, I think, you know, a topic that's got a lot of conversation through the off season that, you know, we won't really have answers to until we get into this year um, is the kicker spot, right? And that they only have one kicker and it's a super unproven guy and, everybody wants to treat kicker like every other position and that you need to have a big name proven guy in there in order to, to feel good about the position. And the thing about kickers is like a kicker can be really good. And then the very next day be terrible and never be good again. And then a guy can be not very good. And then all of a sudden it can click for six or seven months and he can have a great season and then it can click off again. And now you can't count on him anymore. And we saw that happen with Brett Maher last year. And so, I mean, Tristan Viscaino goes eight for eight on field goals in the OTA practice on Tuesday. And now everybody's going to be, you know, tracking these kicks over the course of the year and talking about, why don't you sign Robbie Gold? Why don't you sign Mason Crosby? All that kind of stuff. And it's just because, like, kicker's just a weird position, and you just never know how a guy's going to kick until he kicks, whether it's a – whether it's a veteran who's done it a hundred times or it's a rookie who's never done it, unless your name is, you know, Justin Tucker, every, and yeah, it will come for Justin Tucker at some point. Every one of those kickers is going to, it will eventually fall off and have a, have a rough stretch. And, and so it'll be interesting to see how they approach the kicker spot. Um, and if they really do, you know, bring in a bunch of competition or if they just, if they just say, okay, Tristan Biscayno is going to be our kicker through camp. And then at the end of camp, we will go and we will have a big kicker tryout and see who's kicking the best right then at the beginning of September. And if we find the best kicker in September, we'll pick that guy and we'll roll with him until he stops working out. And then we'll let him go and we'll pick up another guy. And that, to be honest, that's probably just the best approach at kicker. Yeah, no, I I don't disagree. I mean, I feel like I'd love for this team to – get more of a sure thing at kicker. But if you don't have one of those top three or four guys, you're kind of dealing with what you just mentioned, where it's like kind of constant turnover or constant just inconsistencies from that position. So you hate to really go out and invest in a guy that you feel like might be the 10th to 12th best kicker in the league when you might find a guy like, whether that's Tristan, whether that's an undrafted guy, whatever that is that you feel like could come in and do that job at a similar level at a cheaper rate. Um, you know, in a perfect world, you have Justin Tucker, but it's just not a perfect world. And outside of him, like you mentioned, there's not really anybody that you can just bet on year in, week in, day in, day out to to be that guy consistently for you. Yep, absolutely. And, and the thing about, you know, well, how are you got to people will say, you know, these games are going to come down to winning kicks and, and all that kind of stuff. And And yes, that's absolutely true. There will be games where you need the field goal kicker to make a kick for you to win the game or tie the game or something like that. But what a kicker has done prior to that kick matters less to making that kick than just about anything else. Like, though, 
kicking is just weird. Like I don't really understand. I don't really know the best way to explain it. The best comparison is probably, you know, you hear kickers compared to golfers a lot and there's a whole right. lot going on in the golf world right now, but, uh, <laughs> but golfers can get the yips and all of a sudden it goes away. Yep. And you just like, you can't hit a fairway. You can't hit a green. It just happens. And that happens with kickers too. And so just, you know, have a kicker while he's kicking well, keep him. When he stops kicking well, go get another one who's kicking well at that moment. And, you know, at a certain point it'll go away and you just cycle, continue to cycle through. Yeah, no doubt. I I definitely agree. Like I said, if you, if you gave me the perfect scenario, we'd have, somebody more consistent but it's just that's not the way that position really works in the nfl so it's kind of you're you're going year to year almost week to week month to month basis in the nfl with that so i'm i'm right there yep, with absolutely. you. absolutely um my biggest thing and i guess i guess you could say this is the first negative thing but luke schoonmaker being in a walking boot i can you can tell me all you want it's not serious but when you Mentioned walking boot and plantar fascia, I'm going to get nervous. And that's a player and a position that they can't afford the injury at and they can't afford to lose the body at, in my opinion. Um, we mentioned all offseason that we feel like, hey, you know, tight ends are tight ends for the most part, unless you have one of those top one or two guys. But we think that Schoonmaker kind of brings something to this offense that may be other than Jake Ferguson, it doesn't have as a guy who can kind of do a little bit of everything. And the reports haven't been, I don't want to kill the guy, but it sounds like maybe some of the same issues for last year for like a guy like Peyton Hendershot, where he's, he's dropped some passes. He's, I think he's dropped a couple that have turned into picks. So like, that's something you obviously don't want to see and read going into year two for him. So that's something that we need to probably keep our eyes on and monitor and kind of read between the lines on because they can tell us, like I said, you can tell us all you want that it's not a serious injury, but you you mentioned that plantar word and and I start to get nervous. Yeah, and it's one of those things that uh, tight ends are really hard position to make the transition to the NFL anyway. It's it's one of the reasons why drafting a tight end high a lot of times is not a great idea because you just the early impact that you get from those guys can be um, negated by that tough transition. Um, and when you add an injury to that mix, you know, that's tough. And like anybody who's ever had foot problems or, you know, that plantar fascia problem, like that stuff's excruciating and it's just really hard to, to do anything with. And also just makes me nervous. Cause he's missed, he missed, he didn't play a lot in college because of it. Yeah. That's like, yeah, that's the other part of it. That's just got me like, Oh Lord, here we go again. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's a whole lot of people who say a lot about whether injury prone is a real thing and all that other kind of stuff. And I don't know, you know, I'm not a doctor to know medically whether like what the the implication is, but like, it's just, it's not great for your second round pick to be in a walking boot the first month that he's in the NFL. Like, because one of the things about foot problems is Usually, if you have foot problems, it's a result of – it's almost an overuse injury a lot of times. It's a, a training volume, too much running, too much jumping, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of important to be able to run and jump a lot and be able to you know put a lot of weight into your feet really, really often. It's kind of important in the NFL, especially yeah. a tight end where you're blocking and you're running routes and all that other kind of stuff too. And so, like, he's – you know. 
going to have to take quite a while off of training lower body. Um, and who knows how that, who knows how this impacts his rookie season? Who knows if it has any impact on his rookie season? Right. It may not have very much at all. Um, and then who knows how much that changes who the Cowboys are going to be, would be otherwise. Um, but it's, it's definitely not, you know, it may not be bad, but it's definitely not good for a, for your second round pick tight end who you expected to be a significant tr- contributor very early in his career um, to be missing time already with injury when, like you said, he missed time in college due to a few different injuries. So it's just, it may not be bad, but I know it's not good. Yeah. No, and I mean, I think, I think honestly, my biggest fear there is the thing we keep mentioning, you know, the injury issues in college kind of, you know, following you to the NFL. There's some guys who are banged up in college all the time who do get to the NFL and don't see the injury list, but there's a lot of people, a lot of players that injuries kind of follow them throughout their career. So you hope he can maybe shake that and it is minor and it's something he can work through and, and get out there this, you know, when camp rolls around and have no issues, but it's just something to kind of keep an eye on and figure out, okay, you know, is this going to be something that lingers and, and follows them around from time to time? Um, anything, what else, you got anything else on your end that you really want to touch on from a mini camp perspective? Um, no, I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, it's interesting that Devontae Turpin's the only guy taking really taking very much return reps, um, especially considering, you know, there was a lot of talk about Deuce Vaughn and whether, you know, having a returner who's only a returner and doesn't contribute on offense, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's a little bit interesting. And then we've got some good feedback on where Kelvin Joseph stands, but I'm sure we'll get there. As we get uh, as we get further through the offseason as well, once we get to uh, once we get to training camp, I'm sure there will be a lot of eyes on Kelvin Joseph inside. I do kind of want to give a little shout out to uh, Matt Wolitzko. I, I think you mentioned his name earlier, but it seems like he's getting a lot of praise from the coaching staff and and beat reporters and everything too. So if he could step up and be you know a valuable swing tackle guy that you just don't really you know a Terrence Steele like player in year two, that would be that would be big for this team. Oh yeah, that would be massive because if he if he shows in camp that he can be your right tackle while if and until Terrence Steele returns, then now when Terrence Steele does come back, you don't have to shift Tyron Smith all you know, you don't have to do all the shifting and all that kind of stuff. You just pull let's go out, you drop Terrence Steele in and away we go. Um and then the same thing if you know I mean, if Tyron Smith gets hurt, Tyler Smith is going to go out and play left tackle. But, but if if Matt Waletsko can be the right tackle that just drops in and is the replacement if something goes on with Terrence Steele, I mean that's that's very very valuable, um, yep. especially uh, you know especially considering that as of right now the contingency plan there is a guy that you probably need to have a contingency plan for himself. Well, and it just kind of feels like again we get fooled by some of the stuff. At times, but it just kind of feels like the, the this like the level of the the level of like the hype surrounding well, let's go right now is very similar to that hype that we heard about Terrence Steele a few years ago, and we were all kind of rolling our eyes at it, right? It was like, oh, why is Mike McCarthy, you know, talking so highly about this guy? Like we've seen him, he's not that good, but he came out and just he's gotten better each year, and you know that that first real like eye-opening improvement was good enough to where he was like 
a serviceable right tackle in the NFL as a starter. And then that next yep. year he improved again and it was like, okay, this guy's a legit right tackle. And I mean, he's not top five, but he's, you know, middle of the pack, top half of the league, right tackle um, is an undrafted free agent. And if, well, let's go can kind of follow that career path and follow Steele's route. That would be tremendous. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because, you know, there is, you know, the contract situation coming up with Terrence Steele in in line with and in consideration of all these other guys that the Cowboys have contracts with coming up. We know that the odds are that one or more of these guys is going to reach free agency next year. And it, they're not going to let it be, you know, Trayvon Diggs, and they're not going to let it be, you know, those kinds of guys. So there's a pretty good chance that uh, that Terrence still lines up in, for, in the free agency pool next year. And if that happens, the amount of money he gets is going to make some Cowboys fans' eyes get real, real big. Um, because of the fact that he's, if he gets to the free market, there's going to be a team that pays him a lot of money to play right tackle, yeah. and um, and so knowing that, having Matt Willetsko as you know a backup plan option to play, all of those sorts of things, if he proves through camp preseason, probably some time in the regular season, that he's ready to step up into that role. I mean, that's massively valuable for for the Cowboys and for you know, for him and the offensive line and the offense as a whole. Yep, no doubt. Um, I mean, I think that kind of recap, like I said, it's only been really a week of, of minicamp stuff, so that kind of that kind of covers what we were going to talk on about that. Do you want to um, do you want to move over and do these linebackers, the positional series we've been working on, just talk about some of the linebackers? I know we mentioned some of their names already, but kind of gives us a good segue into just kind of previewing this linebacker group heading into uh, training camp. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. What um so we I mean obviously we know that that Leighton Vanderesh is kind of the the main guy. Do you want to include Michael Parsons in this conversation at all or are we just pretty much writing him off as a full-time edge rusher? I 
I think he's an edge, and I think he's he, he's just so valuable as an edge that to play him as a true traditional read and react off ball linebacker is um, it's really tough to do at this point, especially considering every time they've had to do it for any significant amount of reps over the last couple of years, the results have been mixed at best and um, and not very good at worst. Um, while at the same time, he's an all-pro level defensive player of the year level player as an edge rusher. It just doesn't make any sense to include him as a linebacker for the Cowboys or for us. Um, so really, the conversation starts with Leighton Van Der Esch, I think, for me. All right, so obviously you got Leighton as your your top-ranked guy. I think where you go after that is where things get interesting. You know, DeMarvion Overshone was a relatively high draft pick this year, but behind that, you know, you got Damone Clark, who played quite a bit last year um, after we didn't know if he'd play at all. You got Jabril Cox, who's received some preseason love. Devin Harper, who was a draft pick last year. Malik Jefferson, who was an undrafted free agent. And a couple of these undrafted free agents from the last two years um, who've kind of worked their way into the conversation. So we know Leighton Vander Esch is one. Let's say that Damone Clark's two. Where do you kind of see this depth chart following up for after those two with Jabril Cox, Damone Clark, and then DeMarvion Overshone? Yeah, I think you can sort of take – I think Damone Clark is the guy that we have seen on an NFL field do NFL things at a relatively high enough level that, you know, we had the conversation a little bit earlier earlier that he is fully capable of being the linebacker two in this defense. Um, And so with that being the case um, at this point, you sort of have that baseline of, okay, he's played it at a level that with Leighton Vander Esch next to him, you are, you're going to get good enough linebacker play. And from that point forward, any step that he takes, any step that Jabril Cox takes, or any surprising development that you get from DeMarvion Overshawn is, it's almost gravy. Like, it's just extra. Lanyap, as our friends in Louisiana would call it, um, that is, it's just going to make, it's going to make the defense better. Um but you don't, but you already have a really high floor. And Leighton Vander Esch is so important to this conversation because we saw what happened last year when Leighton went out. And, and part of the reason why this Cowboys defense is so good is that the front seven is just suffocating. And really, it starts with the front four. Um, and those guys play extremely fast. And because they play extremely fast, they have a lot of freedom. And they, you know, We've heard you, you hear certain different people call them on defense. They call them better bees because you better be right. Um, and so if you're Demarcus Lawrence takes a bunch of better bees, Michael Parsons takes a bunch of better bees, and that they will freelance off of the scheme out of their traditional gap responsibility relatively often with the idea of going to make a dynamic play. Um, and Leighton Vander Esch kind of his job is to make them right. So if he sees DeMarcus Lawrence flash across into a gap he's not supposed to be, his job is to read and react and go fill the gap that DeMarcus Lawrence was in. And we saw this with Albert Hainsworth in Tennessee with Keith Bullock for years, where Albert Hainsworth would freelance, go make a big play in the backfield. But if he guessed wrong, Keith Bullock was there to cover. And so even though 
Leighton is not the, you know, scheme changing. He's not Fred Warner like you were hoping he would be when you drafted him, you know, 18th overall in the first round in 2018. Um, but he's a really important part to this defense because he's, you know, whether you want to call him the eraser or the diaper or whatever, he's the guy that makes a lot of those guys in the front right. And when you're talking about that linebacker two, linebacker three spot, now now anything you get in terms of fly around, make big plays is all bonus because you really are in a pretty good place um, because of who Leighton Vendoresh is and what you have up front. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, I think the way to describe it is I don't think Vanderesh has made that. He's not in that dynamic or elite tier by any means, but he's in that, you know, very good tier when he's healthy. And and again, going back to it, you know, that's his biggest bugaboo right now is just, he's always seemed to deal with something when he's healthy. He's good when he's banged up, when he's, you know, playing with, you know, a back injury or a shoulder injury or neck injury, he's just not himself. So I think that's, that's my biggest concern with that position and going back to it. If, if I have, I think it was Mina Kimes that said it the other day on, on their show that they were doing is, you know, I think they were talking about Philadelphia actually. And they said their two biggest holes right now are at running back and linebacker. And if there's two places you want to have holes at, those are the two, the the two of the, uh, sorry, linebackers and running backs, but two of the least valuable positions in the NFL right now. If you want to have holes there, those are the ones that have holes at, um, I'm really interested to see what DeMarvion Overshone turns into because I think from a see-run-and-chase standpoint, I think he's got a high ceiling. Um, I think from a coverage standpoint, he has a little bit of a higher ceiling. I don't think he's going to be a Fred Warner. I think that that's you know, way, way, way out of the, the realm of possibility, but I think he can be a much better player than – and I didn't even love Overshone coming out of Texas. Like I think that – the way the Texas defense played it relied on him to take on blocks a lot, allowed him to come downhill a lot. But you mentioned it like the Cowboys defense doesn't force their linebackers to really come up and, and be those gap shooting guys at all times. It allows them to kind of roam free, run, chase, hit. And I think in that roam free, run, chase, hit style of defense that Dan Quinn likes to play. And especially when you got guys like Mozzie Smith and Jonathan Hakins eating up blocks and allowing you to run chase and hit um, without dealing with a lot of, a lot of, a lot of garbage on the second level. It lets players like Overshone really shine because he's so quick athletic and plays with some instincts um, at that second level. So I think that he's got a chance to really crack into that starting rotation. I mean, right now I think it's definitely, you know, uh, Van, uh, Van Der Esch, you got Damone Clark, Jabril Cox overshone as your top four. Um, and we talked about it a little bit with uh, John last week, but a guy like Isaiah Land's an interesting one. While we both agree that, you know, he's a true edge rusher, he probably, you know, he's kind of in that Michael Parsons tier where it's like, yeah, you might be, he might be listed as a linebacker, but he's actually an edge. I mean, he's a guy that if, if he shows some athleticism and shows some fluidity as a second level um, linebacker, you know, as an off the ball outside linebacker that's going to play some hand in the ground and some off the ball this this preseason. I mean, he could find himself on the roster. And while I don't like him as a traditional linebacker, I think his stiffness shows up at times and it just he plays big for a smaller guy. I think that if if he can show some position versatility as a is a on and off the ball guy, then he might find himself a roster spot, you know, with the added value of special teams and stuff like that as well. Yep, absolutely. And you know, 
there's a lot of a lot of people in the Cowboys media space that spend a lot of time talking about down roster guys and how important special teams is and all that kind of stuff. And I, it's almost reached the point where I think that gets overstated a little bit and that there's usually only, you know, three or four guys on the team who make the team because of special teams. Um, but one of those spots where a guy can do that is that linebacker just because of the body types and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think you're right on Isaiah Land. I think that's where Devin Harper has a chance this year to 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 have a chance to make a roster, make the roster, and be a part of the team in year two, and uh, and it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out, um, especially after you know they have Jabril Cox and Damone Clark, and still thought it was worth spending a third round pick to pick Demarion over Sean. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this position plays out because I think there's a lot of upside and ceiling that has been yet unrealized. Um, but at the same time, the floor feels really, really high for the position too. Yeah. And th- this is one of the few positions too, that I do think they could do a similar move that they did last year where you look at some of the free agent linebackers that are still available. Some of those veterans, there's some, there's some good players and good names still available, like if they get into camp and they just feel like, yeah, Damone Clark hasn't really developed how we thought, or yeah, Jabril Cox, you know, not quite there. Like they could go out and get, you know, a, you know, a Anthony Barr like linebacker, um, probably for not a whole lot of money and for not a whole lot of, you know, guaranteed money or anything that they have to really stick around with that guy. So that might be a position as well. They kind of see what that young group looks like. Cause again, Jabril Cox, uh, Damone Clark, Demarvion Overshown, uh, Devin Harper, those are all really young guys. So maybe just see what these guys look like through mini camp, maybe get into the first week or two of training camp. And then if it's not looking like those guys are making the jumps that you thought they would, you get on the phone and see if you can get in, like I'm not saying Anthony Barr, but a guy like him, like they did last year. Cause that's the one position where you feel like they could use another starting caliber player. And then if not, they could use the depth um, just for, again, like the, I think the upside there is for the higher floor, but if we saw towards the end of the year last year, Damone Clark kind of the more he was playing, I think the more wore down he kind of got. And it's tough to really buy into that so much because we didn't think he played much at all in his rookie year. But if if these young guys don't develop, that floor can get low really quick. So I wonder if they look to maybe go to the veteran market to just help raise that floor a little bit um, and remain healthy because linebacker is a position that a lot of times you do deal with a lot of injuries and and bang, you know, guys playing banged up because of the the force it takes to play that position. Yeah, absolutely, and it's one of those that um, there's uh, there happens to be a guy on the free agent market right now who spent a little bit of time with Dan Quinn in Atlanta, Deion Jones. Who, yep. Uh, is, there's a there's a bunch not, of intriguing names. Oh on yeah. the free agent linebacker. List. You you compare linebacker and running back earlier, and it's the same exact conversation. Yep. It's like it doesn't matter if it's. June the 7th or August the 31st or November the 2nd or March the 15th, you're going to be able to find somebody who can come in and play a decent amount of snaps at linebacker for you and get relatively decent level of play. And that's why it's okay to carry a weakness at your on your roster at those spots because it's shockingly easy to shore those up uh, almost no matter what time of year it is. So, Yes, there's some intriguing names on the free agent market. There's almost always linebackers available for trade that teams have either regretted spending a high pick on or regretted paying a lot of money that you can trade and renegotiate contracts and all that other kind of stuff. So uh, despite the fact that there's not a whole lot of proven 
um, experience behind Leighton Vander Esch. The ceiling's very high, and the floor at the position stays really high, both because of the guys they have and because of the uh, the opportunities that exist on the market. Yep, no doubt. Anything else we need to touch on before we get out of here? No, I think that pretty much covers it. You know, it's, it'll be exciting to watch the rest of these uh, minicamp headlines leak out over the next few days. And um, then it'll be time to turn focus to get ready towards uh, training camp here in uh, a month and a half or so. It will be here before you know it. We're excited to get there and excited to uh, talk about it all leading up to it. So we'll be back next week on the Talking the Star podcast. Make sure you're listening to all the other shows on the Blogging the Boy podcast feed. Sh- click sub- subscribe and you'll get all the different shows uh, pop up into your Spotify or Apple Music, whatever feed you're listening on. Hit subscribe and you'll get all the different shows from all the different voices, hear all the different opinions. We appreciate the support. We will be back next week on the Talking the Star podcast. See you then.